Amen. Well, welcome, everybody. So good to see everybody here. Um, if this is your first time, I want to give you a special welcome uh, to come and worship with us today. And as many of you know, we're having after church today, I hope you'll stick around, we're having a picnic and also our family chat, which is kind of our chance to tell you about things that are going on in the church and to talk about different things that we're processing and ways that the Lord is, is leading us. So yeah, thank you for being here. And I'm really excited about the text we have today. So we've been looking uh, so far at the Ten Commandments. We've been in Exodus, and we've been talking about the Ten Commandments. And, you know, it's really important to remember that the Ten Commandments, it's important to remember the order that these things happened in, that God, God doesn't come to the Egyptians and then say, he doesn't come to the Israelites in Egypt and then say, like, okay, here's ten rules one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. And here's ten rules. If you keep these rules, and a year from now, if I come back, and if you're still keeping the rules, then I'll save you. That's not what he does. He, he saves the people, and then he gives them the Ten Commandments. And so the Ten Commandments is not do this, and then you'll be saved. It's, okay, God has saved you. Now, here are ten ways. Here are ten here are 10 ways that help us understand what it looks like to live in God's blessing in partnership with him. So we've talked about, first of all, that God, we said God is not interested in an open relationship, right? He's just old-fashioned like that. Um, that he doesn't want you to have any gods except him. He cares about who you worship, and he also cares about how you worship, okay? That we can't worship any way we want. We have to worship through the way he's appointed Back then, it was through the tabernacle and the sacrificial system. For us today, it's through Jesus. And today, we're looking at the third commandment. So I want you to turn with me to Exodus 20. The people have just, in Exodus 19, like we talked about a few weeks ago, they've just heard from the Lord that he wants to be in a covenant or a formal partnership with his people. That's in Exodus 19. And then right after that are the Ten Commandments. So I'm, I'm going to read verse 7, which is commandment number 3. Everybody there? All right. Exodus 20, verse 7. God says, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless, who takes his name in vain. Let me read that one more time. Remember, this is the, the Lord's, the capital L-O-R-D. This is talking about Yahweh. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Okay, well, let's talk about what this means. So I want to break this down into two different parts. First of all, what does it mean to take God's name? Let's talk about that first. What does it mean to take God's name and then we'll talk about what does it mean to take God's name in vain. Okay, so first of all, what does it mean to take God's name? Well, the word, the, the word in Hebrew, in, in the original language that this text was written in, when it says take God's name, you know, we kind of think of take God's name as like, you know, don't say God's name with a curse word attached to it. And that's definitely not something that we should do. 
We should definitely not say that. But, but really, when, in this verse, when it says, take God's name, the word take, it doesn't, it doesn't mean to speak. It doesn't mean to talk. It, it, literally, means, it literally means to, to, to lift something up. It means to, to take something and to, to lift it up in the air. It can mean to, to take and lift up. It can mean to carry. Or it can mean to bear. Like we come, we come bearing gifts. We come taking, we come bringing, carrying gifts. Does that make sense? So it literally means to, to, to take God's name and to lift it up or to carry God's name or to bear God's name. Okay? Um, so, so what does this mean then? Okay, in what sense, like, how do you, what does it mean to take a name, you know, a name, like, how could you take the name Ryan and, like, go, you know, okay, now I'm taking Ryan's name. What, what does that mean? Well, well, let's look at another passage. There's one, one really good thing to do when we're studying the Bible. You know, when we see a phrase or a word that we're not sure exactly what it means in the context, it's just ask the question, what is, is there any, is there anywhere nearby by the same author or the same book or um, in the same testament where this word, this phrase is, is used. And if we can understand what it means there, then sometimes that's helpful in understanding what it means in the passage that we're, that we're looking at. So another place that this phrase, to take a name, another place that this phrase is used is in Exodus 28. Go ahead and, and turn with me to Exodus, flip forward a few more chapters You'll see a lot of stuff about tabernacles and priestly garments. And Exodus 28 and verse 29. Okay, so Exodus 28 is talking about the high priests. And what God, so the high priests, the, the high priest's job is really simple. Um, well, not really simple, but to, to say it in a simple way. The, the job of the high priest is to represent the people before God and then to represent God before the people. Okay, to come to God on behalf of the people and then to come to the people on behalf of God. Okay, so what God, what God does, again, you know, spoiler alert, um, in, in a few chapters we're going to see that God says he doesn't just want the people to have his law. He wants to, he wants to, he wants to be their neighbor. He wants to, to they're living in tents. He says, I want to live among you. I want, to, I want to move in next door to you. And so he tells the people to build this big, this big tent. And, and I, you know, I thought as we were thinking about this series that, oh, I'll be able to say, just like this tent here. And, and we can't, can't do that, unfortunately. But it was a tent. And, um, I, and, and what God said is that, uh, that, that he, he said, you know, build this tent. He gives them all those specifications. And God says that his, his glory, his presence will literally descend on, on the tent and come into the tent so he can meet with his people. And then one person, the, the high priest, would, would come into the tent. Okay, he'd come into the tent and he would meet with God. And he would come before God and he would, he would bring the blood of a sacrifice for the people's sins. And he'd come and he'd bring it before God, okay? And he'd, he'd say, you know, this is, oh, God, you know, we've, as a people, we've sinned. You know, here's the, the blood of the sacrifice. And then God would, God would accept him. And then that would be representing God accepting the, the people. 
Does that make sense? So to represent the people to God and then represent God to the people. But what's really interesting is, and all these details about, oh, you know, their garments and it's woven with this type of, you know, twine and not twine, but, you know, silk or, or linen or whatever. Um, it, it can feel like, well, why, why is this such a big deal? But there's actually some details in here that are really interesting. One of them is that the high priest, the one who's representing the people before God, when he would come into the tabernacle to meet with God, he had this really fancy uh, kind of tunic on, this really fancy robe on, and he had on the, on the front, on the chest, there were 12 gemstones. Okay, 12 gemstones. Can anybody guess what those represent? The 12, the 12 tribes, that's right. And on each of those gemstones was engraved the name of one of the tribes of Israel, okay? So he, he's literally, he's walking before God and he's wearing a shirt that says, you know, this is, the, you know, the, the names of the people of Israel. So he's representing the people. And look at what it says in 28 verse 29, Okay. So remember, he's wearing this, this tunic that has the names of the people engraved on gemstones on the chest. He's coming before the Lord. And this is, how, uh, this is how it's summarized. In verse 29, it says, So Aaron, who's the high priest, So Aaron shall bear the names of the sons of Israel in the breastpiece of judgment on his heart when he goes into the holy place to bring them to regular remembrance before the Lord. And this word, when it says Aaron will bear the names, this is the exact same phrase as you shall not take the Lord's name in vain. It's the exact same phrase. So you, you could just say to Aaron, Aaron, don't bear the names of the people of Israel in vain. It's the exact same phrase except people of Israel and, and God, okay? So, 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 so what does this mean then when God talks about do not... So, Aaron is representing the people before God. What does it mean when God says he's, that Aaron is taking, so, okay, so Aaron's taking the names of the people before God and he better do a good job, he better not do it in vain. What does it mean for us to take the name of God, to bear or to carry the name of God? Well, um, remember back in Exodus 19 when God, he initiates this formal partnership with his people. What does he say they're going to be? He says, you'll be my treasured people among all the nations. And he says, you will be a kingdom of what? You might remember? A kingdom of, of priests. He says in, in chapter 19, verse 4, he says, you will be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So what does that mean? Why, I mean, like... Why does God need a priest? Remember, a priest's job is to represent God before the people and to represent the people before God, okay? And so the job of the people of Israel after he saved them, not before he saved them, but after he saved them, is to live in such a way by following his commands, by trusting in him, by worshiping him as he says to, to live in such a way that, he show, that they show the, the Canaanites, the Egyptians, all of the surrounding people what God is like. They're supposed to represent God to the people in the surrounding areas, just like 
Aaron represented God before, uh, represented the people before, before God. Does that make sense? Well, let me give you an example. And, you know, I, I love to, to use kind of, you know, weird analogies. And this is one of them. But uh, maybe it's not too weird, but it's about Chick-fil-A. <laughs> so uh, it, it's, it's a little bit like, it, it's a little bit like if I was going to start a Chick-fil-A franchise, Okay. And, you know, I, I'm not sure, you, I mean, I'm not sure what the process is, but, uh, but I'm going to start a Chick-fil-A franchise. And so I, I go through the screening process. And at a certain point, you know, I've, I've have enough experience. They've vetted me enough. I've invested enough money, you know, whatever it is. They, they might say to me, okay, now we are authorizing you to, to start a restaurant and then put the name Chick-fil-A on that restaurant. Okay, and so I would start a restaurant, and then they give me the secret sauce, and they give me the, you know, the chicken, the, and they tell me how to do everything. They give me the uniforms, and, and so then I would be, you could say, I'm taking the name Chick-fil-A, All right? So I've got a restaurant, and it's got the name Chick-fil-A on it, and I'm, you know, I'm running it. Make sense? And so the, the goal is if somebody's never been to Chick-fil-A before and they're all over the place, but let's say somebody from, from Canada or from, you know, wherever, and, and has never been to Chick-fil-A, and they come to my, to my restaurant, and, you know, my goal is, in running the restaurant, that they will eat the food and, you know, drink the drinks and interact with the employees. And people will say, if you say thank you, everybody will say, my pleasure, and all that type of stuff. Um, and they'll say, wow, Chick-fil-A is a really good restaurant. Right, Chick-fil-A is a really good restaurant. Well, what does it mean? So we talked about, that's what it means to take the name of Chick-fil-A or take the, the name of the Lord. Okay, it makes sense? So what does it mean to take the name of the Lord in vain? Well, let's say that, um, let's say that, again, I'm running this Chick-fil-A thing, and let's say, you know, I'm like, you know, I could, I could save a lot of costs if I, you know, if I kind of water down the sauce, and, you know, I don't get really polite teenagers. I get the impolite teenagers who are not going to say my pleasure if you say thank you, and, you know, and, and let's say that, you know, I'm kind of slacking off, and, and so the, you know, the drive-through is really inefficient, and I burn the fries, and I don't bread the nuggets right, and all this type of stuff, and you ask for buffalo sauce, and I give you, you know, barbecue sauce or, or something like that. That happened to me one time. I'm not bitter. Don't worry. Um, and then if somebody, if our friend from Canada, who's never been to Chick-fil-A, he comes to Chick-fil-A, and then, I, and he eats it, and he's like, you know, Chick-fil-A is kind of garbage, and then maybe somebody else would be like, oh, no, 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 you don't get it. This isn't what Chick-fil-A is like. Chick-fil-A is really good. This guy just took the name of Chick-fil-A in vain. All right, does that make a little bit of sense? And so in the same way, to take the name of the Lord means to be God's representative, to show the world what he is like, to be his priest, and to take the name of the Lord in vain means to misrepresent God. It means to burn the fries and to, you know, have the drive-through get all, you know, congested. And then, and people are like, oh, man, I don't like this God. Look at his people. Okay? So what does this mean for us? I think, you know, as I think about how this applies for us, again, this is, obviously, I hope you see as I'm saying this, this is so much more than just don't, don't say certain swear words. <laughs> or if you swear, don't put God's name in front of it. Uh, it's so much more than that. Um, I think 
what this means for us today is that God is calling us, God was calling his people to be his priests, to be his representatives. And today, that's also true of us. God is calling us, his people, to, he's calling us to more than just good theology. He's calling us to more than just affirming the right theology. I, I don't know if you've had that, this experience, but I, I think so many times we, I mean, we think that's what Christianity is, right? You know, you, you pray a prayer, and then, like, you, you, you kind of, you memorize this theological statement, and you learn about the Trinity, and, and then you kind of keep your nose clean, and you don't do drugs, and, and, and then that's just kind of it. And it's kind of like going back to the sin series. Remember when we talked about that, uh, the series on, what do we call it? Our need for a savior, that's what we called it. And we talked about how, you know, we can walk around feeling pretty good about ourselves sometimes because we think our job is just to not murder people and smile and wave. <laughs> and, and if that's what we think God has called us to, then we walk around feeling like, oh, I'm, I'm a, you know, I'm a, I'm a good person. I don't need God. I don't need to be forgiven. But when we realize that God has called us to be his representatives before the people around us, we realize how far short we realize that we're all burning the fries, right? Look with me at 1 Peter chapter 2. And I love it when the New Testament and the Old Testament really kind of come together. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. And this is something, remember, the people of Israel, God called them, the Jewish people, this was their identity. We're a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. This is our job, to carry God's name, to represent God's name before the nations. And here Peter, a couple thousand years later, is writing a letter to a church. And it's a church of Christians, obviously, but they're, they're mostly Gentiles. They're mostly non-Jewish. And look at what he's about to say. And I mean, we read this and just kind of skip over it and say, oh, that's kind of cool. But I mean, for somebody back then, this would have just, this would have been offensive. This would have just blown their categories. Look what he says in verse 9, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. He's talking to Gentiles who are not circumcised, likely, who do not go to the temple, who do not necessarily keep the Sabbath, the only thing they have in common with their Jewish brothers and sisters in the church is that they believe in Jesus. And this is what he says. He says, but you, you non-Jewish believer that trusts in Jesus, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. And he makes it even more clear what it means. He says, you are a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Isn't that awesome? So that's what God's called us to do. He's called us to more than good theology. And you know, God is, let me give a few examples. So God, God is loving. And so I, 
the third commandment means that it's my job to love my wife in such a way that people look at how I love Lindsay and they say, wow, does God really love me like that? My job is to treat my kids and to love my kids so that they, people, you know, people that we know in church or in, I don't know, swim class or, or soccer, soccer team or, or in school or whatever, they look at the way I interact with my kids and they say, wow, is God really that tender? Is he really that caring? Is he really that loving? Wow, that must be what God's like. You know, God says over and over again that he, that he cares for everybody, but especially for people who are poor and who are marginalized, people that the rest of society rejects. And for us to not bear God's name in vain, for us to not burn the fries, what, what does that look like? We can't, we can't just say, oh, you know, maybe if I have a little bit left over after I buy my, my next new car, then maybe I'll give something to poor people. No, that's, that's bearing God's name in vain. People should look at the way we give, at the way we serve, at who we serve. We're not just serving other people that, like Jesus says, don't just, you know, serve somebody that can serve you back. You know, find somebody who's destitute, who's helpless, that nobody else is gonna help and that really needs it and go help them. Why? Because that's what God is like. And when people see us, you know, two middle-class families that, oh, we give you birthday presents and we give you birthday presents and, and, you know, we watch your kids sometimes and you watch our kids sometimes and we have each other over for dinner and, you know, stuff like that. And, and yeah, that's, they, they say, well, that's, that's nice. That's nice. But if they see us, if they see us finding the people who nobody else cares about, people who are poor, people who are maybe homeless, people that maybe have made a lot of mistakes, and they see us giving their kids Christmas presents and inviting them over for dinner and loving them, they're gonna say, wow, that must be what God is like. And so that's our job, that by our purity, we show God's holiness. By our generosity, we show God's concern for poor and marginalized people. By our love for each other, we show God's love, love for the world. And you know, the, the truth is, I think this becomes increasingly obvious, that none of us can do that. <laughs> And that's not an excuse. I think sometimes we, we talk about this and say, oh, well, you know, none of us can do that, so let's just go back and have a Bible study and talk about the Trinity or something. Um, that's not the point. The, the point is that this is something that the, we can't do it on our own. And when we start to realize this is what we were called for, to bear God's name, to represent the character and the truth of God before all nations, before our neighbors, and everybody around us, we start to realize why we need a savior, <laughs> right? It makes a little bit more sense when in Isaiah, when the prophet says that your righteous deeds on your best day, when you think that you, when you get to the end of the day and say, man, I was so much like Jesus today, 
I, did so, I was so kind to that person on our best day apart from Christ. Our righteousness is just like a stinky diaper. That's my translation of a father of a one-year-old. Our righteous deeds are like filthy rags. They're not even, they're, they're nothing before God. Because we shouldn't just be loving, we should be loving like God is loving. That's what he's called us to. So, so what do we do? Thank God that he's provided Jesus for us. Because Jesus is the only one, we talked about this last week, he is the one who is the image of the invisible God. We are all distorted images. We have all taken his name in vain. All right, so to one degree or another, all of us have taken his name in vain. We've all burned the fries. We've all misrepresented him. But Jesus comes, and this is really interesting. He comes and he, at, at the beginning of his ministry, as he's preaching and he's praying the Lord's Prayer, he says, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy, what? Name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And what he's saying is, all these people that you gave this commandment to, they've all taken your name in vain. I'm here, they've all profaned your name. Not because they've said, God's a, you know, God's a, I don't know, something terrible, but because they, they, they failed to accurately represent who God is. But Jesus is saying, I'm here now, and I am going to sanctify God's name. If, if you want to go to the real Chick-fil-A, this is the original. <laughs> right? This is, you know, if anybody who has seen me has seen the Father. If you watch the way I love somebody, you've seen the way God loves somebody. But remember what it says in, in the third commandment. It says, obviously this is very important to God, right? Because he says, he will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. But Jesus doesn't just come and say, okay, I'm here to clean house and open up a can on all of you guys and you know, y'all have, y'all have messed it up and so I'm here now, so I'm, I'm gonna punish all of you. No, Jesus said, I didn't come to condemn the world but that the world would be saved through me. He said, all of you are guilty. None of you are guiltless. All of us are, gu- are, are guilty. But he said, just like I am the one who's truly bearing the name of the Lord correctly, I'm also gonna bear your guilt. And that's where in Hebrews 4, it tells us that Jesus is our high priest. And we don't have a high priest who can't sympathize. We don't have a high priest who doesn't know how hard it is to run a Chick-fil-A. He's been there. He's experienced those temptations, but he does it perfectly. And he's gonna, and he dies for our sins on the cross so our guilt can be removed. And then he puts his Holy Spirit inside of us to show us how to bear God's name so that every step of the way we can say, Lord, your spirit is inside of me. Show me, I need you to love my kids through me right now. I need you to respond to the situation through me right now. If I do it in my own strength, I'm gonna blaspheme your name. I need you to do it because I know that you, that you are holy. Well, today we're, we're celebrating communion.
Um, you should have gotten one of these when you came, when you came in. Uh, if you if you don't have so so if you don't have one of these little juice and and wafer things, could you and you want one? Can you raise your hand, please? And um, you know Eric or or David or um, can can go find you. Does everybody have one? I think in the back there. I think uh, Travis and Leah in the back. Not to call y'all out or anything. You are Canadian, so I think you've been to Chick-fil-A, though. So when we celebrate communion, what we're celebrating is that Jesus is our high priest so that we can be a kingdom of priests. Jesus forgives our guilt by dying on the cross, and then he sends his spirit to live inside of us to empower us, not by our efforts, but by his power, to make his name holy and to spread the excellencies of our God all around us to whoever will listen. So um, communion, this is a, the Lord's Supper is an opportunity for those of us who are disciples of Jesus to celebrate this. If you're, not, if you're here and you're not a disciple of Jesus, then you know, we're really glad you're here, but this is, a, this is a special time for us. So I'd encourage you to not take it if you're not a disciple of Jesus, but instead just use this as a time of reflection. What I wanna do is I wanna give us like a, just give us a, a minute or two to reflect and to ask the Lord, say, Lord, is there any way that I, is there anything you want me to confess? Not because, oh, I'm afraid you're gonna send me to hell, but because Lord, I want to, I want to do what you told me to do. And if I am falling short in any way, I need you to tell me so I can thank you for forgiving me and I can ask you for help. Let's just take a minute to reflect and if God brings anything to your mind, just confess it to him and thank him for forgiving you. Well, if you're ready, go ahead and take the, um, the cup, and it has a, a film of clear plastic on the top of the wafer. Go ahead and peel that back and take the wafer out. 
And then there's a little foil uh, layer underneath that, and you can peel that back too. And then we'll eat, we'll eat and drink together in a second. So on the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, he took the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Let's do this in remembrance of him. Lord, I um, thank you for the incredible privilege that you've given us, that you didn't just save us, but you You've put your name on us. And that you, you even stake your reputation on us. It, it sounds so crazy sometimes, but, but you do. And Father, we, we thank you for that awesome, amazing privilege and responsibility. And God, we, you know, every day we, we fall short. But God, I thank you that we, that you've taken away all of our guilt, all of our shame, all of our fear because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. And Father, I just pray for myself and my brothers and sisters here that, Lord, if any of us is trying to, if any of us or I know probably most of us are in one way or another. So God, would you show us, show us ways that we are misrepresenting you? And God, if there's any of us here that when they, when they think about this, just feels anxious and tired and just thinks, I'll never be able to do this. Father, I pray that you would give them rest. And I pray that you would give them power through the Holy Spirit and that you would start to transform them and that you would lead them. And I pray that they would submit to your spirit and rely on your power to proclaim your name all around them. In Jesus' name, amen.